podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, Paul Dennett here. Just letting you know that Cricket Unfiltered is now on Patreon. If you are a fan of our show and would like to support us with a few dollars each month, go to patreon.com slash cricket unfiltered or click the link in the show notes on your podcast app. Menas here. Our Patreon supporters will also get some pretty cool bonus content. Paul will be doing a series of cricket history podcasts. And Menas will be doing long-form interviews with leading cricket personalities. All of these shows, plus other bonus features, will be available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. So if you want some great extra content, or if you just love the show and would like to help support us financially, please go to patreon.com slash cricketunfiltered. Well, few things to get off my chest to start today's show. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Andrew Mensel. I'm with Paul Dennett. It's going to be a short one because, Paul, you know, Jaleesa Apps makes a lot of fun of us about our age and how old we are, but she's the most technically inept person I've ever worked with. No, I'm going to defend her. I, I don't think that's the case at all. I think sometimes you're just a victim of the technology that surrounds you. I've had that before. People sometimes think I'm technically inept, which is a horrendous accusation. Um, and uh, I, I want to defend her in her absence. I think it's um, it's wrong of you to say that. <laughs> well, I appreciate you defending our lovely co-host, Jaleesa, but, you know, she's a, a young woman. She doesn't have a laptop. She loses her phone every week. I'm so I'm worried about it. I mean, I think you and I need to take her under our wings and give her some sort of technical upskills. I've gone a long time without losing my phone, but I used to be famous as losing it all the time. I think since phones have become so much more than just a calling and texting device and they've become so integral to our lives, I've realized that if I lost mine, I'd be I'd be absolutely bereft. So I've, I've really paid attention to not, not losing it. But back in the day, I used to lose it every second week. Yeah, I think we should start a GoFundMe to upskill up uh, Jaleesa's technical capabilities by um, the end of the year. So maybe that's something worthwhile we can work on. Um, also, you know, they say love is, you know, love hurts and love does hurt because I came came on the show last week and just put my heart out on the table, told Jaleesa how much I loved recording with both of you and then, a week and a half later, do I hear from you about when we're going to record our next podcast? Nope. You and Jaleesa just ghost me. It's like I don't exist. <laughs> and that's just because you're so well organized. We just, we're, we're like Pavlov's dogs. We're just waiting for you to uh, set the ball in motion. And I think this week you decided, oh, I won't and see how those two recalcitrants actually act. And you've got your answer that we're, we're pretty disorganized. Yes, like you know, I feel I feel like I'm sort of back in high school again, like trying to ask a, a girl to a dance or something, and um, you know, constantly getting rejected. But well, we're here now, finally. I will never reject you, Menace.
Well, that's good to hear. Uh, but look, lots of cricket news. It's going to be a short show, but we just wanted to jump on because, you know, a lot of our listeners are in lockdown and so are we. So, um, you know, it's good to cover off some of the news. But if you if you want a sort of extensive news breakdown, go and subscribe to Cricket Daily, which has a, a daily update of all the cricket news. But, yeah, starting locally, I guess, um, you know, the Indian women's team has arrived and they're quarantining in Queensland. And since our last show, they've announced they're playing the whole series against India in Mackay and the Gold Coast, as expected, Paul? Oh, it's a good development. I mean, it's a pity that the world is the way it is, but I think this is a very uh, pragmatic and intelligent decision. It gives the tour as much certainty as it can have. And, you know, who would have thought a year ago that we'd be still in this situation where we're having to have um, games in hubs and, and and moving along in that direction but if anything the pandemic has has taught me it's that predictions that you make can pretty quickly look silly and also that the feeling that everything will be returned to normality sooner rather than later hasn't borne out to date so yeah um hopefully that there's it, it goes off without a hitch now yeah, I agree. I, I'm glad they haven't scrapped the test rather than say it's too difficult to get to Perth. We just won't play it. They've they've moved the test to southeast Queensland. So I'm glad they're playing all the matches that they scheduled. And it is going to be a tight, um, you know, schedule. They're going to pack the games in over 20 days. And when you consider that the Indian team and most of the Australian team, the Victorian and New South Wales players would have done two weeks quarantine, I think there's going to be some challenges for both coaching staffs to to keep the players fresh for those intense 20 days. And they're not going to be able to train during quarantine? Is that right? No, my understanding is they can't train at all during quarantine. It's a hard quarantine. And you know, Matthew Mott was saying uh, on our favorite station in the West Sport FM that he he's worried about the fast bowlers in particular not bowling for two weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always the first to defend state governments for doing what they, they need to do to protect the health of their citizens. So I don't want to be too critical, but it would have been ideal if they could have found a way to find a facility whereby they could train and keep everyone and keep everyone safe. It's pretty hard, as you say, for the far, as Matthew Mott says, for fast bowlers, two weeks, um, sitting in a room and then expected to really uh, strain the limits of sort of athleticism, that's not ideal. Yeah, and it's hard enough for the women's players to sort of get the loads up for test cricket because they play it so rarely in normal times, but now that's even more challenging. But I've got to say, can't wait for this series to start. India gets better and better, and I, I think it's going to be a cracker. Looking at it from a grand historical point of view, this might be the peak of the Australian side that – Australia has leapt ahead because partially off the back of the WBBL being so professional and, um, you know, by far the best league in the world. With the women's, the arrival of the women's 100 and hopefully in the not too distant future, a proper women's IPL, then the other nations are going to start to catch up. Oh, I agree. And um, I think it'd be good for the game if they start to catch up. We've just, as you say, we've seen Australia just edge ahead now and Australia's depth is very impressive. So can't wait for that to start. Um, You know, moving that series to southeastern Queensland was the first sort of chess piece moving in the Australian domestic summer. But I'm hearing reports that the Marsh One Day Cup is going to be moved and the Sheffield Shield fixtures are going to be tailored to suit the the border closures. I think a lot of the players are really 
reticent to go into a bubble again. And I also think the cost of doing a shield bubble is prohibitive for Cricket Australia. So you might see a situation early season where, say, South Australia and Western Australia play each other twice in the shield to get some cricket in because their borders open. But then, you know, other states around the country will be at the sort of whim of the state governments. Should add, I mean, you might have mentioned it, but that, that half that series in the women's isn't in southeast Queensland. It's up in Mackay, which is kind of um, central eastern Queensland or northern eastern Queensland. So shout out to all of those um, Cowboys fans up there. Yeah, um, they've just got to do whatever they have to do to to get it in without being um, without breaking the bank. In an ideal world, I'd have been advocating they should be playing a few games in Darwin this year on um, pitches that have been made to turn, given Australia's got a, a year ahead of subcontinental tours but I think in this stage they'll just play them wherever they can yeah and I can sort of see where Cricket Australia is coming from that you know putting those bubbles on for the shield literally costs millions of dollars and if they can avoid that they'll do anything they can I I guess that the key thing is that our cricketers are getting red ball experience leading up to the ashes that's the focus because we haven't played a test match since the Gabba we're not going to play one till the ashes we need some red ball cricket to start to get, um, you know, our best players ready for the Ashes. Yeah, no, I think that's still true that they say these days that the cricketers are so adept at changing conditions and changing countries and formats and coming to grips with them very quickly. And I'm sure they are quicker than they've ever been. But it, it does still seem to take a little bit of time that if you've been playing, um, you know, white ball cricket in the UAE, if you were to come back and suddenly play a, a red ball test match in Australia's bouncing conditions, even if you are an Australian, you, you know, a match or two at least of uh, first-class cricket under your belt makes a big difference. Yeah, and the Ashes, um, there's still that story sort of floating around about whether the Ashes will go ahead, but I don't think there's any doubt that they'll go ahead. It's just where and in, in what form and which players for England come. But I guess, if anything, the third test against India – that England just played has shown that they might be more competitive than we're, we're giving them credit for. I think if they can get a lineup with Burns, Hamid and Milan at three, and then you throw in, you know, Ollie Robinson, who's a fine for them with the new ball, I think they could be quite competitive. Hopefully. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> there are two big issues there. One, will they go ahead <clears throat> and in what format? And two, if they do go ahead as expected, how will England go? We've talked about it before on this show that the the sort of default expectation you have to have for England in Australia is that they will get thrashed because with the exception of 2010-11, they have been thrashed here every single time all the way back. The last time they weren't thrashed here or the last time they won here before that was 1986-87. So their performance, especially in this century, has been deplorable. Uh, what was it? 0-2-3-4-1, 6 7 5-0. 10-11, the exception where they won 3-1. Then 13-14, they lost 5-0. And 17-18, 4-0. So as much as we build it up as a wonderful series and we all look forward to it, if, if it comes to be, to be that yet again England are hopeless in Australia, it will be, it'll be damaging to the brand. It's It kind of reminds me of, and I don't know how you felt about this, but when we were growing up and uh, aside from the, the, early, for the, for the mid-'80s when England did win a few times, when our memory really starts to kick in in the late 80s onwards, the Ashes lost a bit of its luster because England could never could never win it. Um, and Australia's performances in England in recent years haven't been, you know, haven't been great, but they've certainly been a lot better than how England have performed out here. 
Ollie Robinson certainly looks like he's someone who could bowl well in Australian conditions. Um, there's all this gibberish all the time about you need speed in Australia. Um, obviously, speed is great. And you look at Mitchell Johnson from 2013-14 and uh, Jeff Thompson from 74-75. And yes, if you've got a really good fast bowler, you can do a lot of damage. But it's still, you've got to have the accuracy. And if you don't have the accuracy, then speed is going to get you nowhere. Ollie Robinson has that accuracy. He has that height. He pitches the ball up. He gets a little bit of movement. In theory, he could be um, a very, very good bowler in Australian conditions. It's such a pity that um, Jofra Archer is already ruled out because I think that the pair of them could be a, a really, really uh, intoxicating watch in Australia. Are you interested in your thoughts on Mark Wood, that they talk about him all the time as being someone who could be devastating down under? He, got, he bowled quite well in the white ball games last time, as I remember. I don't think he's someone that Australian batsmen would necessarily be all that scared of in Australia. What do you reckon? Yeah, I agree. I think he's the sort of bowler that Australian batters love facing. Not especially quick, but the ball comes on to, I mean, he's quick enough. The ball comes onto the bat, but he's not tall. He doesn't move the ball a lot. He's a trier. He's got a good attitude and he'll get go at the batsman all day. But on his own, I don't think he's a particularly dangerous customer. Um, but but I, I do like the way this England's team's looking and I'm kind of reticent to write them off because I think, you know, we all thought India when they had all their injuries last summer would fall away, but they ended I up coming home with... Please check my Twitter feed where I predicted that, that I thought they were very good value to bet on and I did bet on them. Excellent. And <laughs> good value to bet on is one thing, but anyway. Um, and then the other one was, um, you know, South Africa came out here five years ago and they had no AB de Villiers and no Dale Stain, both with injuries and everyone wrote them off and they smashed I didn't. them. So, okay. I thought with Kyle... With Kyle Abbott on board, they were going to be absolutely um, very, very – and I backed them as well. Excellent one. I need your tips before <laughs> this series. But what I'm – No, I'm just saying, don't, don't, say, don't say we when you mean I. I mean, like, I think there was a general feeling, a lot of publicity that you know, these teams wouldn't be competitive. Yeah, um, true. Now, but I like the way England are doing I do like Joe Root as a captain and – He's actually quite likable, I find, as a leader because he's well-spoken. He answers all the questions. He's he's um he's honest. He's 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 just a likable guy, and I don't think I've said that about many English captains. Yeah, but that's because you've got a problem that you've got a real anti-English bent, which is bizarre given that you're married to someone from England. Um, the, Joe Root seems like a lovely guy, and you could make a very strong case that he's the best batter in the world at the moment. I don't think he's particularly good as a captain, though. I mean, his um, performance in that Lord's Test match on the final day when they bowled bounces with the field back to four of the worst tail-enders ever and lost the game as a result, that just about should have been enough for him to have the captaincy taken off him. I mean, that was just idiotic. And you can say, oh, you know, I've learnt from that. I mean, (laughs) how can you not have already known that? I mean, is he going to come out next time and bat with a tennis racket and get out and say, oh, I've learnt from that. You know, next time I'm going to use a cricket bat. Like, that was just insane. Um, So I I don't think he strikes me as someone who's going to be a great tactician in in Australia, which probably doesn't matter as much as people think it does, but he's the sort of guy that will push the field back a little bit too early or delay his declaration a bit too much or not be as aggressive as he should. So, And that's probably the mould of a lot of them. I mean, I think Alistair Cook was probably in that mould as well. Not terrible, nice guy, likeable guy. I'm sure the team play hard for him, but a level below the absolute top type of of standard of tacticians that you want. Who do you think is a better on-field captain, 
Tim Payne or Joe Root? Uh, probably similar, I, I, I'd say. I think where I'd give them both, I, I think there are three aspects to the captaincy. One is how you motivate your players and, and you know foster team spirit. Two is on-field tactics. And three, I think, is the way that you handle the media and present to the media. I think that as far as fostering a good team spirit and presenting well to the media, I think Tim Payne and Joe Root both do an excellent job. I think that on-field tactically, they don't do as good a job as some others. But the importance of the significance of that is overstated. It often, it often doesn't matter. But if I had to choose on-field um, captains for tactics purely, I'm wanting Ian Chappell or Michael Clark, someone with some real aggression and someone who's not going to put a deep point back and let the game um, meander along. So I think that Payne and uh, Root, probably like most captains, lack a little bit of, in that area, but it doesn't matter as much as people think. So they'll be evenly matched next summer. Yeah, but when Australia has such a, a powerful record over England, then that's the kind of thing where maybe if England had a more aggressive on-field captain, um, it could do them better. I'm not I'm not advocating for Root to be sacked because that would be ridiculous. But, um, you know, um, hopefully, as he said, he does learn from, from, from that mistake at Lord's. Yeah, definitely. Heard Darren Lehman speaking on the radio yesterday to uh, Patton Heels up in SEN Queensland, and he was talking about he thinks it'll be difficult to attract overseas players to the Big Bash next summer if mandatory quarantine is still happening. He thinks a lot of players won't want to um, come and do two weeks quarantine to play in the Big Bash. That That's concerning. Yeah, uh, and that – nicely segues onto that point of, of, of will the Ashes go ahead and what does the summer look like? Off the bat, I can't blame any player not wanting to come and do two weeks quarantine. You know, um, I've never done it, but by all accounts, it's not at all fun. And I would imagine that it, it builds up pretty quickly. Maybe your first two-week period is doable and bearable, but by the time you're onto your second or third or fourth or God knows how many, you'd soon start to really, really hate it. So I'd have no criticism of any player who didn't want to do it. However, what bothers me a little bit is this narrative that's starting to form that, oh, England's opened up, um, they're living normal lives, why can't Australia live normal lives? And, and the way I look at that is, well, the, the Australian handling of the pandemic has not been perfect. You know, the federal government should have certainly secured many more vaccines than they have and we wouldn't need to be in the lockdowns than we are. But ultimately... Great Britain, United Kingdom has had 6.8 million cases and 132,000 deaths. If you prorate that for the fact that they've got a higher population than Australia, in Australian terms, that would be equivalent to them having 2.5 million cases and 50,000 deaths. Australia's had 1,000 deaths and 56,000 cases. So it's roughly 50 times as bad in the United Kingdom. So for every, every time someone sort of says, oh, you know, we're living life normally in the UK and you guys are still in lockdown, I'd say, yeah. I'll take that over a Sydney cricket ground size amount of fatalities. I think that the way they've handled the pandemic has been really horrendous and, um, you know, tragic and heartbreaking because of there's so many other aspects to it as well, that death is just one way of, of measuring it. So um, if Australia ultimately insists on hard quarantine and um, states do what they need to do, uh, and it means that players can't come here, I'm not going to criticise them, but I'm also not going to criticise the Australians for, for doing what they need to do to keep their people safe. Yeah, any other bits of news that have caught your eye in the last week or so? You don't have any thoughts on that? 
Oh, yeah, it's hard to argue with you. I mean, you, you're 100% right. You're 100% right. I, I, I feel for the players, but I, the government's got to do what's right. I hope we get to 80%, 90% vaccination by December and they can ease the quarantine um, for people coming in. But as it stands, uh, you make very solid points as always, backed up as always by Dennett's statistics. Well, I hope that they do um, all those things happen, that we get you know, 90% vaccinated as quickly as possible and that we um, can start to ease restrictions and start to, to, to live more normally, for sure. Um, that, Australia know, is getting hammered, though, around the world. I mean, the right-wingers in America are just shredding Australia at the moment, calling us a police state and sharing every video of the police arresting someone for not wearing a mask. Um, yeah, Australia is getting shredded. Yeah, but those, those right-wingers in America are absolutely stupid. Um, you know, no one with any brains should pay attention to anything that they, that they say. Yeah, I agree. What about cricket stuff? Anything catch your eye? <laughs> um, oh, I noticed the IPL is going to be expanding to 10 teams, which everyone kind of expected. Um, short term, they're not going to have a full uh, home and away series for those 10 teams. So the number of games is not going to be increasing by quite as much as you might expect. Uh, but it does pave the way for in the future when they say, actually, we do want to have it um, a full home and away um, series, which would mean, I think, a 90-game preliminary series. And that would, you know, there's no way around it. That would increase the length of the tournament. So it's just becoming a much, much more permanent major um, fixture in the world and, and cricket's going to have to deal with it for, for all the good and all the bad that that uh, entails. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good things about it. It's a great tournament. It's going to yes. generate billions for cricket over a number of years. But it is concerning now that especially we've seen with this latest move of the IPL to the UAE, international cricket now is kind of pushed out of the way so the IPL can take place. So if the IPL were to go to three months a year, that that could effectively mean three months where no international cricket is played. And, you know, if it goes to three months of the year and you, you don't always have to assume that's the end of it. I mean, a 10-team tournament in a nation of 1.4 billion, um, I mean, Rugby league here has 16 teams in effectively half the nation of 25 million that it could just keep on getting bigger and bigger. So uh, it's one of those challenges that if you keep on acquiescing to each bit that they um, claw out and they'd say legitimately claw out, they can do what they want. Um, eventually, who knows what international cricket will look like in 10 or 15 years from now. If you go back 10 or 15 years, no one could predict the way that it would now be. So um, God knows what the future holds. Yeah, a couple of questions before I let you go, Paul. Um, did you apply for the selected job advertised um, <laughs> in the seek? So the Cricket Australia is advertised for the selection role. And what is it? The positions advertised is entry level. Surely we can do better than that. Like we, we don't want an entry level selector. Uh, we want someone, you someone. You know, a bit better qualified than someone from sub-districts. Entry level, like a an eighteen year old who's just it's a good 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 position for someone who's just left school to um, before they get a real job. <laughs> well, he's oh, captain the team in high school, captain the school team. Um, if I were to apply, I guess the things I would say was firstly, I would work very well with the current coach Justin Langer. Um, I would support him, so I think that would be an, a bonus. I'm a qualified level one cricket coach, or was so. I guess I meet the entry level requirement you know I'm not level two or level three you don't want someone 
you know, too smart selecting the teams. Um, so maybe <laughs> I'll throw my name in the, the ring. Oh, mate, I'd be happy for you to do it. And <laughs> I've always said it that we should get someone who's never played cricket before. Like the, 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 the notion that you need to have been a top-level cricketer is insane in, in the same way that I've that they always seem to think that the, the, the number one qualification for jobs in cricket are people who are good at cricket. And it just doesn't, it doesn't follow that way. You know, the number one qualification for a knee surgeon is not someone who's had a lot of knee surgery done to them. That's right. Yeah, exactly. It's a surgeon. Um, all and right, I would well, say if I was going to apply and I've been harping on about it this episode, but not to encourage gambling, but I would submit my his, my lifetime history of betting on cricket and I would challenge anyone else to of those who are applying, probably because it's illegal for them to have ever had a bet on cricket. So that might make it a bit difficult. But um, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'll, I'll put mine up against theirs anytime. Definitely do it. All right, um, Paul, we're <laughs> running out of time. I've got to jump on a cricket daily, but I've got to can't let it go for this mini pod. And we will be back next week with the with the battler from Bora, Jaleesa Apps. Uh, she'll have sorted out her um, internet by then. I was going to go for the bogan from Bora, but I changed it to battler, which I think is Good. probably softer. Um, my can't let it go is one of my favourite re- – well, there was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald, Herald saying that Maryvale, this huge food and beverage company, might be getting the lease to do the catering at the Sydney Football Stadium and the SCG. And, you know, one of my favourite restaurants is a Maryvale restaurant, the Centennial near Centennial Park. They were beautiful steak and chips. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking that the food at the SCG could in- increase dramatically. Well, it couldn't get any worse. Um, certainly, in the, in the public sections, the standard of food is ghastly. So, yeah, if they anything is better than the current situation. And my can't let it go is Lord Botham being appointed as UK trade envoy to Australia. And I think one of the, the tweets summed it up. It was like, imagine having a trade deal where you've got worth a trillion dollars with your twenty something plus near, next nearest neighbours, and then cancelling it to try to get a trade deal with a nation of 25 million people 20,000 kilometres away and having an ex-cricketer heading it up. Um, quite bizarre, but uh, I look forward to uh, Lord Beefy giving us um, all sorts of um, urgings to buy pork pies from the UK or, or whatever, whatever other products they want to advertise. Yeah, I heard someone say that they should make the Australian equivalent Ian Chappell. So that was Ian me. Chappell and Ian, was that you? Yes, <laughs> that would be good. Well, you shouldn't use that joke in this podcast. <laughs> Chapelli and um, Beefy could just um, fight it out, and the winner gets the trade um, gets the balance of trade power. That's right. Well, got to wrap this up. Thanks everyone for listening. As I said, we'll be back next week with Jaleesa, assuming, of course, she had some technology by then. I'm Andrew Mensal. I've been joined by Paul Dennett. Thanks for listening. <laughs> On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.